Hey, this is Little Miss Higgins, and you're listening to The Northern Report with Sean Burns. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to The Northern Report. I'm your host, Sean Burns, and I'm coming right at you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here on The Northern Report, I aim to shine a light on emerging and existing Canadian talent, as well as some of the legends we're still lucky to have with us. My guest on today's show is Little Miss Higgins. Jolene and I are old pals. We landed here in Manitoba around the same time back in 2013. In 2015, I joined her band, holding down the upright bass chair for three years. We saw a lot of stages and did a ton of miles together, and I learned a whole lot from Jolene, her Little Miss Higgins character, and the stage show that came with it. As you're about to hear, we got caught up, we shared some laughs, and dug into her history. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with my friend Jolene, a.k.a. Little Miss Higgins. Hey, pal. Hi. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I was like, oh no, she knows. Like, she knows I'm going to be interrogating her for the next hour. <laughs> I'm like, wow. In a, yeah. yeah I'm like, hey, why is, why is it defoning? I'm yeah. just like, and then I open my phone and I'm like, oh, he did phone. <laughs> I'm nothing if not punctual, you know? The... Yeah. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? <sighs> not bad. I'm, you know, trying to find ways to, uh, to like keep busy and maybe f- f- forget about what's really going on. Uh, I know. Well, I've been doing, uh, doing some research and like, I knew a lot of this stuff about you, of course, uh, already, but there's definitely a bunch of things that I want to pepper you about today and, uh, uh sure. get the backstory. And like, just like you said, it's been, you know, you've put you put out uh, six records over the course of twelve years, uh, and then now it's been four years. So Did it's I? like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for the folks who may not already be familiar with you and your music, let's give them just a little backstory. You are originally from Alberta, and you spent time living in the great state of Kansas before returning to Canada. Mm-hmm. What do you remember most about your time down there and how different was the culture and the community versus uh, back home in Brooks, Alberta? <laughs> uh, well, I think in Kansas, you know, I mean, the, the prairies are, you know, there, there's a similarity, I think, with, with prairie people in the, in the middle of the, the continent. But, but certainly down in the States, there um we were in the southeast corner of kansas actually quite near the like the ozarks in like arkansas and missouri which was was pretty cool like i you know i'll kind of direct it towards you know the music side of things because growing up there was a lot of well through the 80s in in kansas my my folks listened to a lot of of country music so there was all that 80s country music going on plus plus we were near the ozarks where a lot of those big names kind of toured through the ozarks and actually some came through independence where we lived there was a there was a scene there was like big theater where people played and like 
outdoor concerts and and yeah it was cool you know like I I don't remember a lot of them but you know my folks always talked about seeing you know seeing different artists and and going into the Ozarks and seeing them and um yeah and then like the the radio was always on with the good old the good old 80s country of like Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton and Randy Travis and Vince Gill and all those you know great songwriters of from Nashville and like so that was like kind of my first sort of what do you, whatever you want to call that as a child when you're surrounded by this music because your parents listen to it <laughs> so that's the like the first music you remember hearing is the like country radio of the of the era yeah yeah were you like, yeah. are you the only one in the family that uh, was musical or a creative type? My older brothers, I, told, I have two older brothers and they both played like in school. They played, um, Tyler, the older one played trumpet and Ryland played saxophone. And, and then, but then after a certain amount of time, they both stopped playing those instruments. But um, they're both creative in, in other ways as well. And then my dad played music when he was younger. He played drums and guitar and trumpet. He was in the Air Force. He played trumpet in the Air Force. And But but when I knew my dad, he didn't play music. So he had also kind of, yeah. Was guitar your first but instrument? But he bought a piece. No, I, well, I was just going to say my dad... <laughs> My dad bought a piano one night in a bar in Kansas and uh, came home and told my mom, like, fellas, I bought a piano last night. <laughs> and uh, and she's like, why did you buy a piano? He said, because I didn't have one. That's a great and answer. So he bought, and it was a mini, it was not just a regular, like, upright. It was a mini grand piano. And luckily we had a, a, a room that w- it would fit in, <laughs> in our house <laughs> when I was growing up. And, uh, and so he told me it was mine. I think I was about four. I barely remember. And, uh, and so I knew how to write my name and I carved my name in the side of this mini grand piano. And uh, I got in trouble for sure. And then, and then I had to start taking lessons because, I had carved my name. It was your <laughs> piano. piano. Yeah. And so, so yeah, no, I started with piano, just like classical kind of stuff. And then kind of, you know, I ventured into a little bit of the pop music of the time. Like, uh, I think I had a Debbie Gibson song. I can't remember which song, but that name pops into my mind. And like wind, I think I played wind beneath my wings. And, uh, you know, some of that kind of stuff ventured into that direction. But then when we moved to Canada, like when we moved back to Canada, the piano didn't come with us. And uh, we did we did get a piano, like an upright, but I, I didn't continue with it. It kind of fell away. And, and it was, you know, as a teenager, I was getting less and, you know, spending a lot more time, like hanging out with my friends. and venturing into other like types of music and 
and so my dad bought a guitar and uh, kind of just a regular acoustic guitar. So I started playing around with that. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just kind of taught myself guitar and that was easier to like take around and, you know, play with my friends, my good friend, Adrian and I, we would sit and figure out old folk tunes and sing harmonies and, and, uh, yeah. So that kind of was the direction I went instead of continuing with piano and uh yeah when did you start singing uh not till later like like when I was a teenager like my you know I would sing a little bit with the piano but never in front of anyone else you know I'm sure my my parents may have heard from the other room but I never sang in front of other people and then well, with with my friend Adrian, she she sang like in choirs and stuff, and and uh, was in theater. And so, I that's when I I was about fifteen, sixteen, and when I met her, and and we started hanging out and playing music together and and singing. And I got involved in theater as well, and so that kind of opened up the world of like my voice and finding my voice through theater and music and singing harmonies with my friend and giving my, you know, giving me that confidence to like say, Hey, I can do this. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you're hearing the, you know, commercial country radio through the eighties and stuff. When do you start becoming familiar with like the traditional blues and the old timey music that uh, are such a big part of your sound? That happened like later on, like when I was first kind of, as I said, that when I picked up a guitar and and started venturing into the different kind of genres of music that were out there, because, you know, my friends were listening to all the popular stuff that was was going on, like all good stuff, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and the... ACDC and and all whatnot but I was kind of like I I love this stuff but I it was never something like I never went out and bought those albums I I was like yeah and and one day I was driving around in my little car at a little Acadian scooter and I listened to this old radio station uh and Joni Mitchell came on the radio and I was like who is this and I need I need to hear more of this. And my friend Jeremy Price Jones, who was in the car with me, he was like, I think her name's Joni Mitchell, but I don't know what the name of that song is. And so I went out and bought like every single Joni Mitchell album I could find until I found that song. But within my search for that song, I discovered her and like her voice and her lyrics, her poetry, her guitar playing. And I was like, this artist is amazing and and then from her and learning about her I ventured further back and like who influenced her and 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 those people and and I was listening to CKUA radio in Alberta and uh I heard a Billie Holiday song again all kind of just all from the radio and uh 
I heard Billie Holiday. And again, I was like, who is that? Who's, what is that voice that I'm hearing? Like, that's amazing. I'd never heard anything like it. And so I went out and I found a, a Billie Holiday album and I was like blown away. And, and I had heard stuff like this in old movies, but I'd never had an album where I could sit and just listen to, you know, 50 minutes of, of Billie Holiday singing all these amazing songs. So, yeah, and then that just opened up, again, a whole other world of, like, of that that music. And, and then, well, I, I went to theater school after high school, and, you know, that gave me a lot of confidence for performing and, and the world of music in theater. But then I was always drawn to this, this old jazz and uh, blues music. And after theater school, I ended up in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. And there was this amazing scene in Yellowknife when I lived there. And there was two clubs. There was this main bar, the gallery, and then in the basement was the cave club. And there was more like kind of popular music, rock and roll happening in, in the gallery. And then down below in the cave club, there'd be all these amazing like Canadian roots and blues musicians would come up and they'd play for like a week or two weeks. So just and touring, they'd stay like... in the band house. Yeah, they'd yeah. come up and it was amazing. Like Tim Williams and Ray Lemlin and Donald Ray Johnson and Big Dave McLean and um, like Grant. Stovall came up and was like a house drummer for a while and Graham Guest, a keyboard player, piano player came up and he and I started dating and that's kind of, I, I listened to this stuff and I was like, this is amazing. And he, he just opened up this world of like blues music. And so I was like 19, 20 years old and I ended up moving to Edmonton. That's where Graham lived. And we like, he he played with all these amazing like Canadian blues musicians and and uh, and so I got to spend a lot of time in these you know blues clubs in Edmonton and Calgary and like the Yale and Vancouver and and experience these these amazing artists like Big Dave McLean like I said and Stu Foley and um, just so many sunny roads I can't even I, I can't even list all the people that I saw going to especially the the commercial hotel in Edmonton blues mm -hmm. on white yeah like, <laughs> just spending <laughs> so much time listening and watching and and then on my own like I wasn't really playing a lot out in public but just absorbing everything kind of my I guess my schooling and going home and sitting down and figuring stuff out and, and I was really interested in the older stuff you know like even venturing farther back than the stuff that that I was seeing in 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 the clubs and so I you know I heard someone kind of said hey you should listen to Memphis Mini or you should listen to Big Bill Brunzi or you should check out Jesse May Hemphill and I'd so I, I would I'd be like I'd be writing these names down and I'd like go to the library and like 
find CDs. That's so cool. <laughs> That's like out. such a lost thing. You know, like you said, like you went to the record store and bought all the Joni records just to find the one song. And then, you know, you go to the library yeah. and you're like really doing your homework in a way that I don't think, uh, you know, people starting out now have to or, or would have the patience to do. Right. Hey, like- yeah. I'm so I'm so dating myself. <laughs> I caught the tail end of that still, you know, like I still remember going and buying records to find the song. But I mean, it's sure, more convenient sure. now, but you're losing out on some of that experience. Yeah. Well, and it yeah, for me, it happened. Yeah. In such a way that was like, yeah, having to do the detective work of like, how how do I find a Jesse May Hemphill album, you know, or like. Lil Green or yeah so yeah it was even in finding them in the record stores was tough like sometimes I'd go to the library and there'd be a weird random album that I you know kind of heard that name on the radio so I'm like oh okay yeah this is cool but so you go to Red Deer College right for theater school I did I went to Red Deer College and I also went to the Canadian College of Performing Arts in Victoria because like one thing that I definitely picked up and learned from standing beside you on stage is is this really sort of strong and effective way that you're able to present yourself to the audience, like with your sort of like legs like dug into the stage and your shoulders spread and you're like, you know, like preaching to this, mm-hmm. this, the, the people like, is that something that you learned doing theater? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Like I did not have that confidence as a kid at all like I was super shy I didn't like to speak (laughs) I um yeah I was very quiet I spent a lot of time by myself as a kid or like hanging out with my dad driving around in the country and like I yeah I did not I never would have dreamt of that I would be a performer but but I, you know, there was this little inkling, this little tiny spark that always kind of, or pilot light <laughs> that was burning, I guess. And, you know, it's funny, I I brought this up recently in another uh, interview, that watching the Muppet show throughout the 80s, I think had a, had a huge effect on wanting to be a performer or wanting to be an artist. Because I remember watching that show and like the variety show of it all and being like, this is so cool. Like, I, I kind of want to do that. I kind of wanted to be a Muppet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to be, I wanted to be Janice, the guitar player in the electric mayhem. (laughs) And like, I, or like, I, I don't know what it was, but there was something so creative about it that I, I think there there was this little thing that that fed the from the Muppet Show that fed the the pilot light that then eventually like kicked me like into going into performing because I watch it now with with uh, with our son and the like and I'm like this stuff is brilliant this the Muppet Show and and all the movies are so brilliant and so artistic and creative and and mind-blowing like they were doing it all by hand right there was no computer graphics 
Yeah, everything so, was harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everything was harder to do. But but better, right? Of course. Like, yeah. Um, you, you bounced all around Western Canada. You lived up north. You lived in Edmonton. You're in Victoria. Uh, and then you end up settling in the SK in the beautiful province of Saskatchewan. Had you already assumed the character of Little Miss Higgins by then? Or is Little Miss Higgins born out of your time in Saskatchewan? No, it was born in Saskatchewan. When did you start performing as Little Miss Higgins? It was in, I think it was around 2003, 2002, 2003. I ended up in Saskatchewan. I was doing a play and uh, with some friends and fellow actors out of Victoria. We brought the show to Regina and then uh, the show was over and I had no other prospects. And so I kept the set and my suitcase uh, in the back of my truck. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. So I just stayed in Saskatchewan. And then some people let me like house sit for them for a while. And, and then I, I was like, you know, this, I kind of like it here. So I stayed and I was able to get an apartment for like 300 bucks a month and work part, work part time in a coffee shop. And and then work on music. And so I started doing like open stages and, and doing a few shows. And uh, uh, I met this man, uh, Xenophone Garkentitis. Gar- I can't, he's, he's Greek. I can't, I can't pronounce his last name properly. I apologize, Xenophone. And, uh, and so he he and I met. He was a sound person uh, at the time, and uh, and we we met and, and hung out. And he called me Little Miss Higgins, and so I decided to use it on a poster for a show I was doing. And then it just stuck, and it kind of went from there. Well, so yeah. what's the what's the first Little Miss Higgins proper show? Do you remember? It was uh, it was at the uh what's the name cafe ultimate was this cafe where i worked and uh i did a show there uh my friend michelle boudreau she was working there as well and she was uh, booking the shows so yeah she booked me and i did a, a show i can't remember i don't remember if there was someone else on the bill or if it was just me you know there's maybe 20 people there and you playing solo it was uh, i played solo yeah and that was it and then i just kept going and and i was working in this cafe and and well and again lo- watching lots of music going to see big dave mclean play at the plains hotel and 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 then like michelle boudreau would book all these awesome touring acts across that were touring across canada you know, she get Chris Demeanor and Jeff Burner and Petunia, you know, saw Petunia play a couple times there. And uh, yeah, so that was just, and, and some of the local festivals started to kind of hear about me. And so I would, um, I booked a few festivals and few other shows. Oh, I started another band. I was in a band called Kicking Up Dirt in the Throw Together. That's a good name. And 
we had a show someone booked us for a show in Saskatoon and we didn't really have a band name so that's what I said that's what came out of my mouth (laughs) 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 and we did like four shows and then um uh then we we split up my partner uh you know who I played with for years in, in Saskatchewan David Mark also known as Foy Taylor he was in that band he played bass in that band and uh and then our drummer was the owner of the cafe and uh i remember uh david was always like yelling at at the drummer be like you're brian you're slowing down come on open your eyes And it was the demise of our of our band, unfortunately. But and we had another uh, guitar player, Robert Hook, in the band, and, and so the two of us played guitar and sang, and then David and Brian, and and yeah, it didn't last long. But uh, but Dave, I knew David was a great musician, and uh, and so I asked him. I was like, Hey, do you want to like? I know you play guitar as well. Do you want to like? I, I have this like old country blues stuff that I've been listening to like Memphis mini. And do you want to like learn some tunes and, and uh, play some play a show with me? And, and so he said, yes. And then we, we started dating and, uh, and yeah. And then we just kind of took off from there. Yeah. That's the configuration that sort of gets you a little bit more well-known is the duo and you become sort of synonymous as like a Saskatchewan artist. And I guess you start getting these gigs and you need some product. And so you put out your first record in 2005, the cobbler shop sessions, which is like a really nice mix of one end up being some of the staples of your show, even today with the bluesy stuff and the folkier songs and a Dylan song. And some of my favorite songs of yours, like fairy boat blues is on there. And we've never talked about this record. So I want to know, like, how did all this come about? Cause it sounds really raw. It's a really, it's, but in a, in a good way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that it's uh, recorded in a an old building in a small town called Meacham, Saskatchewan, and uh, we met these people that ran the studio, and uh, we helped them. We kind of to help pay for the recording. We helped them like clean out the building and finish renovating it and then we were able to spend some time recording in it and uh, so yeah it was an old built an old cobbler shop that was then a mechanic shop and then eventually they bought it and it was it was a studio and they also owned the house next to it so we were able to stay in in the house next door and um uh, and so it was just one one big open space and then they had built uh um, the engineering room off of it. And, uh, and so Lee, Lee Ward was the, is the, the engineer on that. And so he, he recorded us and we did it all live pretty much if I remember correctly. And again, live off the floor and, uh, and just placed each other in the room accordingly. Cause it, some of the songs we brought up our drummer, Melody Hawksford, from Regina and, and, uh, you know, just had her placed kind of in one corner of the room and we were in another corner and, and, uh, and then on, on one, two songs, we've got big Dave McLean. He was playing in Saskatoon. So we, we brought him out and played a couple songs. 
and yeah again we just put him in another corner of the room and yeah just did it kind of well because of all the old records that I listened to I, I said I want it to sound like this I don't want it overproduced and I don't think we really could have done done a lot of you know too much production it was just kind of what we had and, and so we went for it and then a couple years later it's followed up with Junction City uh, that's nominated for a Juno and a Maple Blues Award you win Outstanding Blues Recording at the Western Canadian Music Awards um, still a few really really strong songs that you probably continue to play all the time Trains Coming Down Liar Liar Velvet Barley Bed uh, did that album uh, sort of make change things for you did you feel like you would kind of arrived on the scene in, in Canada after that record yeah I think yeah things like, start you to know, change things start to change and even with even before with Cobbler Shop you know we were getting lots of shows you know what I was doing was was you know a little bit different and um, you know like I was able to get a, bookings outside of Saskatchewan I'm doing a few tours like John Scholes hired me at times and uh you know just out of a pure whim I didn't really have much to offer him at the <laughs> time but he's like yeah sure come on and come on and and do do a show <laughs> so we did um but uh yeah it, but then yeah recording Junction City and getting the the Juno nomination for it really helped, you know. Not that I, you know, I don't record music or make art to win awards, but it it certainly helps do like free promotion <laughs> for you. So that was, you know, that was great. Lots of the festivals, uh, you know, perked their ears up after that as well. So that was, um, that was cool. That was. Yeah, and you know, working and working with with the other great artists that I, you know, love and respect, like Tim Williams, he produced and played on that album, Junction City, and and uh, yeah, and had brought in some some players for that from like local Cal. We recorded in Calgary that album, and and uh, brought in some great local artists for that, and. Uh, yeah. And you got uh, the live album in 2009, which appears to be the introduction of Jimmy James on the trumpet to your sound, right? <laughs> yes. That's Jimmy's first thing. And then you end up here in Winnipeg to make Across the Plains, uh, which sort of seems to build on what you had going with Junction City and some more really strong songs that I love. So I guess some of them you probably don't play too often. Like, I always like Wash These Blues Away and Beautiful Sun. Uh, mm. But it also mm -hmm. has your big hit on it right bargain shop yes tell tell me about yeah. writing bargain shop panties and did you when you were writing it or when you were done did you did it occur to you like oh shit like i've got something here uh that song actually um is like the bane of my existence <laughs> you have to do it like i've seen it happen so many times like oh, okay we gotta do panties now i guess but you but it's it's kind of a good problem even, even writing it was like um you know like this is ridiculous this is i think i was in i was in watchress 
And he goes, I went for a massage and I was waiting in the waiting room and I'd been to the bargain shop and I was like, this is hilarious. I just was, you know, waiting. So I did some writing and, and, uh, sometimes I don't know what to write. So I just write, you know, free form, whatever's going on. It's like, yeah, I went to the bargain shop and I bought some panties and I did a little, did a little, and then I'm like, well, that's kind of funny because there started to be a rhyming pattern and, and so I'm like, oh, whatever, this could be a funny song. And I went home and I worked on it a bit. And, and then I played it for my partner at the time. And, and, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, it's pretty funny. You know, I like panties. And I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I'll try it out at a show. And I did. And people were like, woo, shop panties. Um, I'm just like, oh, okay, I guess we'll we'll keep this one. And then it just got, you know, people just kept, you know, loving it. So I decided to go with it. I decided, okay, you know, I, mean, I, I, I like, I like the song. It's fun. It's like kind of playing off of um, an old Memphis mini song, uh, Bake My Biscuits. And like, I, it's it's a little bit of you know reminiscent of that but uh yeah I you know I yeah I write other stuff I I feel like I write you know there's deeper songs with more meaning and and where I want to go as as a uh, you know as things I want to say as an artist and a storyteller but you know of course people people want to hear bargain shop panties they want to hear the hit they want to hear the hit yeah well i mean yeah you can save it to late in the show give them the hit you know hey there again folks as we approach the halfway point of today's episode i'd like to thank you for tuning in you're listening to the northern report podcast i'm your host sean burns and our guest today is little miss higgins I'll remind you to follow along with the Northern Report podcast and playlist on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Listen on YouTube, our anchor.fm page, or wherever you find your podcasts. Now, I did enough shows with little Miss Higgins to see how powerful a regional hit can be. Now, as her personal and professional relationships with Foy Taylor came to an end, Jolene enlisted the services of a stellar roots band from Winnipeg called the F-Holes. The Bison Ranch recording sessions earned Little Miss Higgins her second Juno nomination, a well-deserved nod for certain. We'll dig in to the process of making that record with the band and the follow-up to it, My Home, My Heart. Uh, I guess so. You 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 were touring like you know pretty pretty fairly steadily over the over the course of those few years with those records, and then at some point you end up hooking up with the F Holes, a Winnipeg roots band who kind of incorporate country and blues, rockabilly, Dixieland, and a little bit of the darker dash of like Tom Waits, and they really complement your sound well. Uh, was it a conscious thing? Like I need to I need to sort of have a band. Yeah, I well. I think even as I uh, was playing as a duo with Foy Taylor and um, different configurations of the other musicians that I had, had been playing with, like I had Joey Lore on bass for a while. Um, 
I, I always wanted to have a full band. And when, you know, when I met Jimmy James and was like, he's like, I play trumpet. I'm like, why don't you bring, you know, bring your trumpet down tomorrow night and, and play with us. Even though I'd never heard him, I had no idea if he was any good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, but that's just who I am. I'm like, I just trust. I was like, you know what? He's he's, he looks like he can play really well. He's, and he was wearing a little, you know, three-piece suit and his little pork pie hat and a little mustache. I'm like, you know, okay, this guy. Yeah. yeah. Even <laughs> if you're look, shitty. He'll you, look good anyway. Yeah, yeah, you got the look. You got the look. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then, you know, it, learning about the Ethels and, and seeing them play. And I was like, oh, they're such, they would be such a perfect fit. You know, instead of me trying to comprise a a band. And so I asked if they wanted to do some shows and they agreed. They liked what I was doing. And it was a good fit. It was a a really good fit. And and, um, and I, you know, all of the guys were so easy to work with. And, you know, I would just present a song and they knew what to do. I hardly ever had to say anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're really musical guys. And they, and they're, they were really good at, uh, at arranging with their own band, you know, with the, the variety of instruments that they had, no one was stepping on each other's toes. Like they're pretty all. Yeah. Uh, and I still think that that album like really, really holds up as, as one of the great, you know, roots music records, uh, of the, of the two thousands. Like you, you, you feel still feel really proud and, and that you, you accomplished what you set out to with that record. With Bison Ranch? Yeah. Yeah. I I do. I, I really do love that album. And I feel really, you know, feel really honored as an artist to have been able to create that with those musicians in the space where we recorded. And uh, um, Yeah, can you t- it, t- 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 kind of uh, go into that a bit about like where you recorded it and how? Because that's a really good, interesting story as well. Sure. Uh, so like the guys and I had toured a bit and, and, uh, and then I said, well, you guys, we should record an album if you're up for it. And, and they were, and so Patrick, uh, I asked Patrick, uh, Alexander, if he would, um, if he would co-produce with me and he said yes. And, and so the two of us co-produced and then we wrote some songs together with, uh, with Eric as well. And, Eric Lemoyne. And so then, you know, bringing those songs together and, and rehearsing um, them and, and we, Patrick and I, Patrick brought the idea to me. He's like, what if we record in, in my uncle's barn? I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And he's like, he's got, he, he, he uh, runs a bison ranch, you know, southeast of of winnipeg and you know he's got this really cool barn that we like party in and in the loft and there's a wood stove and i'm like okay sure let's do it so we did and i he he also suggested uh the recording engineer steve larie to come out from alberta and uh the two of them had been kind of talking about doing something so i said yeah sure let's do it um and so that was you know set in 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 place and uh patrick's 
parents who had were they live in in the town near where the barn is and uh, they were away they were like in away from the winter and so it was perfect we had their house to stay in and um um and there was a hotel in town as well we used and and uh we set up and camped out and recorded we set up the barn like we rented or we borrowed or rented i don't even remember uh theater curtains oh yeah through sam because uh, she works in theaters so we bought some theater curtains and set up kind of two we divided the room in half and, and uh built these sound baffles and so steve set up on one side of the curtain and we were all on the other side of the curtain and had the wood stove going and uh it was in April. We recorded in April, and it was ended up being the the coldest April in in Manitoba's history, like recorded history. But that, so there was snow on the roof, and as we heated the barn up, like snow would slide off the roof in the middle of a take, and it was like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and uh, you've got to start that again. And we were doing everything live as well. We we didn't. There was no. Uh, no tracks or tracking or anything. We, we did everything live off the floor and um, yeah. So there's, you know, there's times you can hear crows or the train or, you know, bits of that, which we were fine with oh, uh, yeah, but yeah. the snow sliding off the roof. Patrick's departure happens, I guess in 2015 and full disclosure, uh, I, I take over and I'm on uh, yeah. quite a bit of your 2017 record, my home, my heart. And there's some very, very nice moments on that one too. And it differs a bit. You've got some, you know, you brought in Alex on piano on some and Scott Nolan played on some big Dave again. Um, was it important for you to have that record uh, sound like different than the bison ranch or is it just sort of a natural progression? I think just a natural progression. Um, again, as an artist, I, I tend to, suggest you know uh, I think I, I I'm always open to what needs to you know what serves the the music what serves the moment the time you know my time with the f-holes was sort of uh coming to an end in a way like we were all finding other things you know f finding that going on the road wasn't gonna wasn't gonna pay the bills and uh and so we, and there, you know, other things going on in our lives that we couldn't be a full on touring band. And, uh, and so I, you know, I was, I was fine with that. And I was happy to have the time that I did have with them. And, you know, I still call on, on those guys when I can to, to perform. And, uh, and so when recording my home, my heart, I, I think I, I knew I needed to do something because I'd had a, a, a child and it was, time was progressing farther and farther away from my last album. And I was like, okay, I got to do something. And so I just made it happen. And I, you know, Scott Nolan's studio had done some really great stuff. I really loved what was going on there. And I really liked Jamie Sitar, uh, his work and working with him. He's really great to work with. And so it just made sense. I, you know, sometimes you just have to like 
take the easiest route <laughs> rather yeah. than set up a live, a live recording in a barn because that was a lot of work. Well, I really liked recording there, and I, and I think Jamie and Scott really work well together, and I've since done a few things with Jamie, and he always offers uh, an interesting perspective, and he's a musical guy as well, and he's not afraid to tell you uh, when you can do better, and I thought that uh, they both brought a lot to the table as far as that was concerned, but it was still like you know, you were still making the, the final decisions on the way things would go, but, you know, taking their input. And I remember Scott, you know, uh, offering some suggestions about uh, some singing stuff that we did. We were all singing around the same microphone and, and layering those. Like, I thought that was really good. I think I learned a lot uh, doing that one as well. And uh, um, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was the first record that you did and had made since you'd had a child. And that must have been a big big adjustment as far as like writing and finding the time to write and finding the time to record. Can you talk about that a bit? Cause I seem to recall you, you took off to Alberta for a couple of weeks to like write, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, if anyone out there has, you know, birthed another human and, uh, or raised another human, uh, as a, you know, from infancy, onward you know that it takes a lot of time and it's very difficult to you know your your focus is totally split <laughs> and uh and so i and because i um chose to stay home and uh not put our child into daycare it was you know it it was a lot it was a lot cuz then it's like 24/7 yeah so I, because uh, Eric was working at the time, he he had a full time job at the St. Boniface University, and so yeah, I was home a lot and home alone a lot with mm-hmm. a child, kind of out in the middle of nowhere too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so not a lot of time to like um, sit down and and sort of formulate some thoughts and write. No, yeah. So I took I asked my mom if she would uh, help me out and if I could. She wanted to be a grandma, you know, for a couple of weeks and, and spend time with, with Joe and then I could write. So I did. I That's what happened. I went out there and we spent two weeks with, with grandma and she got to spend lots of time with with Joe and I got time to write. And I it was pretty funny, though, because I'm like, I'm sitting in my parents' basement again, like... <laughs> The piano was there, and, yeah. and you know, with guitar, sitting in the basement when I was like, where I figured out how to play guitar, and, and uh, it was it was a bit of an adjustment. I was kind of like, I'm sitting in my parents' basement writing music. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> have I progressed or am I regressing? But anyway, it it, it worked, and uh, I was able to uh, to get enough songs written come back and uh and then record and got most of the recording done i think it was like four and a half days we did in the studio and got all those songs done and yeah yeah i mean i guess that parenthood really sort of informed a a number of the songs on there and you came back with uh with some strong songs and we knocked them out over that weekend i guess yeah a couple big days for sure um so now it's been four years since then, and I know that you've been busy with writing and some other projects, uh, and you had a song, a previously unreleased song, uh, No One Way to Live, included on We Still Got a Lot of Living to Do, the new compilation album from The Times Changed. I really like that one, and I think the band behind you there, 
sounds sounds great. Like it's very complimentary. Uh, can you tell me about that song and if it's part of a you know bigger long term vision or project? Mm-hmm. That song is from a show that I'm working on uh, called The Fire Waltz, and it is um, it's a big project that has uh, been you know it's started as a it's a it's a family comes from a family story of mine and uh something i've always wanted to turn into something about my great grandmother uh, and she she was born in france but she grew up on an island just uh, in the english channel on jersey island and uh, when she she was the oldest of six children five six children and um she she was married uh, to a man named Francois, and then her family all left and moved to Canada, and so she was left with her husband and two children, and then he went to war, and she left and came to Canada with oh, wow. the two children, and so I was always just fascinated. There's so much like little bits into the story that I was always like, I love this story. It's so amazing. <laughs> and we're still finding, still finding things out uh, as we do little bits of research. And, um, and so I've taken that story and I, I asked uh, singer songwriter, Chris Demeanor and artist, uh, artistic director of ghost river theater, Eric Rose to uh, help me with this story. And so October of 2019, we uh, spent two weeks together um, taking this story, and we wrote, uh, I think Chris and I wrote 22 song, 21 songs in 12 days, wow. <laughs> something like that, and, and then we performed them. And it just—it was a song cycle that that told the, the story of of my great grandmother, and uh, and so then we were—it was supposed to become a theater piece, but then the pandemic hit, and I was like, oh, now what are we gonna do? Yeah. So I I have this song cycle, and wanting to take it a little bit further, so I've been doing a lot of like listening to audio material like audiobooks podcasts and things and so I said I could turn this into a podcast like a mini series so I presented the idea to Eric and Chris and they uh they said yeah let's do it so I wrote a script uh, to tie the songs together and there's three main characters there's there's my great-grandmother Eva her first husband Francois and then there's a second husband of in Alberta, Henry. And so we ended up hiring a third person. And uh, so there were three characters. We are narrators as well as playing those, those three main characters. So we've, we've got Matt Foster of the uh, formerly of the Crooked Brothers as the third character. And, uh, and then Chris Demeter and myself. And so during the time, let's so then last October, October 2020, we got together and um, recorded the music. We hired a, a group of musicians uh, local in out of Winnipeg and uh, set up here in 
in St. Anne where we live and uh, got a little studio. So we set up here and recorded and uh, recorded the music and then started to record the script, but ran out of time. So, um, so we're still, still working on that. Uh, that's going to be happening this spring with aiming, aiming to release the, the full mini series in September of, of this year. Will it be with like, no one way to live, be part of a little Mistakens album? Like will you release it as a record as well? So then we're going to, yeah, as well as the mini series, we'll release the, the songs as an album. So it'll be the firewalls album. Cool. You know. And you're kind of unpacking and telling the whole story. Mm-hmm. And so no one way to live is a song that came up like right before we started recording last fall, we discovered this other kind of mini story within the big story, which will hopefully lead to season two and season three of this, uh, this big project. Um, Cause there's just so there's, there's a lot of, of um, a lot of character development that's happening. And uh, when Eva and Francois are still living on, Jersey Island, they meet this troupe of artists that come from Paris, France. And one of them is a can-can dancer who wants to become a painter, but she's, so she left the, the Paris and come with these, these kind of Renaissance artists to, to discover like more natural settings. And, uh, and so they meet Francois and Eva and the, the can-can dancer, jean Viev sings this song at a party they're having uh, called No One Way to Live. And it kind of, it, it tells, it gives Eva the, uh, some incentive to do what she needs to do in the story. And uh, yeah, so that's sung from Genevieve's uh, perspective, um, which will probably on the album be another voice than mine, but I wanted to record the song because I really love it. And um, so I recorded it for the Times Change collection with five, and uh, and the band behind it, the band that we have uh, that we brought in, Gilles Fournier on uh, upright bass and Joanna Miller on uh, drums. And on that song, I think we've got Eric Lemoyne on the banjo, and uh, and then Jimmy James on trumpet. Okay, so that's obviously like a a big undertaking and and a, a big project, but you've also got. My Heart is a Train, the podcast that you just released. And I listened to the first episode of that a couple of times. I think it's really well done. And I'm not going to give it away, but I do like the references, the the inside references you included, like the cobbler shop and the town of Watrous and the Senator Hotel. Um, it's like a new and exciting outlet for you to tell this long form story. I guess, you know, can you tell about the podcast series? Like, is this going to be My Heart is a Train separate from the Firewalls and, and you're going to keep building on the episodes of this one? I think with my heart of the train, I because we with the well, the firewalls kind of uh, had to be put on halt um, for a number of reasons. Uh, so a because it just became way too big to to accomplish in the time that we had. So um, so I decided I needed to do something, and so I took this write some old poetry that I had prose and I was like I'm gonna turn this into a story because I've, I've been listening to a bunch of, of uh short stories um and I'm like I can write a short story 
so I did. <laughs> and <laughs> I and I and I, I I looked at songs from Bison Ranch recording sessions, and I said these fit with what I'm writing, and and so I I just did it, and I did it all myself to you know keep costs low, and uh, I hired what I hired a director. My friend Darla Bickham, she's an actor and a writer out of Hamilton, Ontario. And and so we worked together to create this story. And, um, you know, and, and using the music, it's what Darla described as a, a musical wander through a work of fiction. And I love it. I think that's kind of that's what it is and that's what it became. And so I finished it and I finished that and, you know, hired a, a marketing person uh, out of she uh, Ella Haggis of Mystery Planet she she market you know she did it all for me the marketing and, and setting it up in the podcast world and and then it got to the end and we we're about to release it and I was like you know I think there's more to this story like I could finish I could finish writing it because it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger yeah so I'm like this this, could, this I think there's more so yeah, I, I, I presented the idea to Darla. She's like, absolutely. And to uh, Chris Demeanor, he's an executive producer as well. And he said, yeah, go for it. And so I'm writing that. I'm almost finished. And uh, I, so I'll have, you know, have to record and create the, the second part of, of My Heart is a Train. That will be the end of it. It, will, it will end there. Just, just, just two parts. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and then I'll, I've, I've actually been the, the, when, when I had to turn around when the pandemic hit, when I was on tour, got one show in at the Twin Butte general store, and then we turned around oh, and geez. came home yeah. and, uh, came home. So, and then I had nothing for 10 months. I did a lot of writing and, uh, and not songs. I, I, I ventured more into story form writing as I have wanted to do for a while. Um, so I have a lot of, of that in kind of on the back burner simmering. I've got more shows uh, as well as uh, now finishing the firewalls. Has uh, doing my heart is a train like the, the, this sort of style of uh, in the medium of, of of the podcast and that uh, how is that is it an adjustment versus the live in person performing that you've done for so long now? What I love and have wanted to do for quite a while and have done a bit you know throughout my music career the like theater and always wanting to go back to theater and storytelling in a way. However, the, the, what the podcast does is makes it possible for me to do it at home mm -hmm. here yeah. and in my, in my studio. Yeah. That's one thing that I discovered. I'm like, I can do all this from my home studio and I love it. And I want to do more. <laughs> and so, I mean, I do, I do love performing, of course. Uh, and, you know, hope that that will happen again in the future. But, but being able to tell stories in this way, I think, uh, is, is going to be a big part of, of what I do in the future.
And the podcast is part of Dish Duty Dramas and Chicken Coop Comedies. It's a collective of independent artists creating innovative audio experiences. Uh, can you tell us who else is involved and if there might be some more podcasts from those folks uh, up on there? Mm-hmm. So the director for My Heart of the Train, Darla Bickham, and I were talking one night and... Uh, before we started working on My Heart of the Train, we were talking about, you know, creating audio experiences um, because, yeah, we were stuck at home. Neither of us were working uh, in our, you know, performance, live performance field. So, uh, yeah, we, I said, you know, I, I do a lot of, I listen to a lot of audiobooks while I'm doing the dishes. And I feel like, you know, that's, it's, they're cool, but I feel like there's an, an element of performance missing. I'm like, what if it was kind of like old radio play kind of ideas? And, and, sh- you know, we were like, yeah, dish duty dramas. So that's where that kind of started. And then I, I brought up the idea to, to Chris Demeanor because he's, you know, as well as being a songwriter and working on the fire waltz with me and writing those songs, he's also an actor and a poet. And he has his own one man show called Russell that I thought, well, that could easily be turned into a podcast easily, like an audio show. And so I presented the idea to him and he's like, yeah, dish duty dramas. And he threw out the, the term, you know, chicken coop comedies because his Russell is a comedy. So I'm like, well, we got, yeah, we got to fit both of them in. And so that's where that long title came from is dish duty dramas and chicken coop comedies. And so, I said, you guys, why don't we start this collective? It's a place where people can find cool, you know, storytelling podcasts. They're not all necessarily fiction, you know, I'm, you know, storytelling in a sense of, of, of telling stories, whatever that means. And so Darla is working on uh, some stuff that she has. She has a, a show called Tank which is professional aunt, no kids is what that acronym for that. (laughs) And she has a show that she, and a a one woman woman show that she's, uh, you know, she's working on turning into an audio experience or, or uh, she has lots of other storytelling shows as well. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're working on, on their own uh, shows as well as, um, you know, trying to, tell other artists about this, musicians, storytellers, and uh, create a, a place for people to come and listen to a uh, story. Well, Bud, it's it's nice to catch up with you. Likewise. Hopefully talk to you soon. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed my chat with little Miss Higgins. Big thanks to Jolene for taking the time to talk with me. It was so great to catch up and have her share her story with us. Listen to Little Miss Higgins' albums and songs wherever you stream music for a nominal monthly fee or check them out at littlemisshiggins.com. Follow along with the Northern Report Spotify playlist to hear music from the folks that I've covered in the Honky Tonk Times column as well as here on the podcast. Remember to subscribe, like, follow, and share the Northern Report. And thanks so much to all the folks who have been doing that so far. Our logo was created by Boots Graham of Boots in the Hoots, Central Alberta's finest honky-tonkers. 
Music on the show today, courtesy of Sean Burns and Lost Country, The Divorcees, and Skinny Dick. From local legends, to regional stars, to the cream of the Canadian crop, you'll find it all here on the Northern Report. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll chat later. Pal, what you got for us? Uh, I'm in the garden, and it's if the light of a new idea has streamed in and disturbed my ignorance.